Welcome to episode 200 of the Indie Matters podcast, or if you're listening on KUNR, the Indie Matters show. I am your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. And this week, we have something special for everyone. Yes, for episode 200, we are doing something special. We're doing something a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, normally, we've got like a three stories for you about various things going on from the week relating to politics and policy and all that. Uh, but this week, we are, we've are we got uh, some stories from various Nevadans around the state. There's eight vignettes of Nevadans telling us what it means to, to be a Nevadan. From singers to lawyers to restaurant owners to casino workers, we wanted to capture a diverse slice of people from across the state. This week, Joey's joined by reporter Jackie Valley, who helped us interview all of these incredible subjects. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so we just wanted to also say thank you so much for listening to this podcast for 200 episodes. Jacob and I are here every week chatting it up on Thursdays to get the podcast out on Fridays for you. And so, you know, thank you from both from both of us. That's right. And not only will I pretend that I've been here all 200 episodes, but we'll also pretend that you've been along with us for all 200 episodes. Thanks for being along for the ride. Yes. And if you ever have any comments, questions, concerns, or whatever else, uh, make sure to email us, uh, joey at the nvnd.com or jacob at the nvnd.com. We're going to get right into it. So enjoy the show. All right, and so it's the it's the 200th episode. We've been doing this for four years. I can't believe we've we've made it to episode 200. And to help me celebrate, I am joined by reporter Jackie Valley. Jackie, how's it going? Good. Thank you for having me, Joey. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. So, our idea for this 200th episode, which I'm sure we talked about a little bit in the intro with Jacob, but I wanted to touch on it a little bit more here, was to ask people what it means to be a Nevada. You know, we're a Nevada-based podcast. We talk to a lot of people from Nevada, not always, but you know, we're always asking questions about Nevada. And I think we all, to an extent, here that work at the Indy, feel like Nevadans, even if we haven't been here for a long time. You know, I grew up here, and Jackie, you you've been here for a, a while. So I think that asking people what it means to be a Nevadan is kind of a great way to to commemorate 200 episodes of Indie Matters podcast. And the reason that Jackie is joining me is because, uh, Jackie, you're kind of taking on this this new beat a little bit, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's still in the very, very early stages. The background is I have covered education here since the launch of The Independent, and I have loved it. You know, I have a mom and sister who are teachers, several aunts, so it was kind of right in my wheelhouse to pick up that beat, and I really enjoyed it. But sometimes you just need a little bit of a change, so I'm not completely scrapping the education beat. I'll still do occasional stories, but I also just, I wanted something new and a little different, and I, I didn't quite know how to articulate what I wanted, so I was talking to our editors, and I said something about how I wanted to do more in-depth stories on what makes the heart and soul of Nevada, like what, what drives people to do the things they do feel the way they feel, et cetera. And I, I, I use some examples such as we could explore income gaps, urban rural divide, all different types of issues that are playing out across the state. You know, I think sometimes we see so much division locally, nationally, globally, that it's easy to think the world is on fire. But I do truly, truly believe that there's more connective tissue among all of us than what separates us. And so I think that's Somewhat of my goal with these stories is to really take the time and have good, solid conversations with people from all walks of life throughout Nevada about issues that are affecting them. So I imagine it'll be very different. You know, it's not like I'm just going to be talking to people in rural parts of the state or urban, vice versa. All different issues they're facing just to get a more clear perspective on their life 
and challenges and how it intersects with the rest of society. I, I, when you, when we first talked about this, I loved the idea. This is the reason I got into journalism, Jackie. Yeah. You know, I think one thing I've always found interesting upon moving here is that first question you always get is where are you from? How long have you lived here? And it's kind of the universal breaking the ice question in almost any conversation. And I think that really speaks to the transient nature of Nevada, but that's sort of a negative connotation. I think the silver lining of that is that it's a state with people from a lot of different backgrounds, which makes for a really interesting tapestry. And so uh, I think these interviews will be really telling about why people came here and chose to make it home. I spoke with Jay Diego Zarazua, who grew up in Yarrington, where his parents had settled after moving from Mexico. He was the youngest of five sons. He now lives and works in Reno, serving as a coordinator at UNR's Latino Research Center. I grew up my entire life, K through 12, in that very small town of Yarrington. The day after I graduated, I graduated on a Saturday, and on Sunday by 1.30, I took off to the big city of Reno, Nevada. (laughs) I really wanted to go to college. There's always this talk about some younger Reno locals who are like, man, you got to get out of here. Reno sucks. And then I started drinking the water and I was like, I actually really like it here. I really love that it's close to my family, especially being a a Hispanic, you know, first generation person raised by, by immigrant parents. Family and culture is extremely important. And I really started realizing maybe my senior year of, of my undergraduate that this is this was home, especially as I started. I'm a journalism undergraduate and I had a lot of friends working in Denver, working in San Diego and California. And I started making those trips, looking at jobs, looking at the cost of living as well. And I really came to the point which was kind of a hard pill to swallow that that Nevada had been home all along. And I ended up staying and buying a home and kind of just working professionally and developing myself. And uh, thankfully now I'm finishing an, uh, a master's program here at the university and I work at the university as well. So I have definitely made Nevada my home, but I think Nevada knew that far longer than I did. And thankfully by one way or another and kind of a push to shove type of method in my teenage years, I decided, you know, I... I didn't know what acculturation was, but I was living it. I wanted to uh, split myself in having all the beauty of my my Mexican culture and the hard work and the determination and the colorful, vibrant fiestas and music that I really enjoyed, but also everything I had grown up with from, you know, listening to Tim McGraw and going out to the, to the boonies and having to have a truck as a teenager because you lived out there uh, and going out with your friends to the desert and listening to country music and just, you know, making Nevada my home as well. I talk about that smell of sagebrush, which just became part of, of my life and something that I really enjoy that brings me serenity and tranquility, which is very American, which is very Nevadan, right? And I finally realized that I wanted to acculturate. I wanted to mix those cultures and be the best possible version that I can. What it means to me today to be a Nevadan is all that, is growing up in a community like Yarrington, Nevada, which is an agricultural town, being a Nevada and the, the success of a lot of the contributions of Nevada are thanks to immigrants and people who have moved here, along with, you know, respecting and with 
honoring those people that have lived here for so long, our Native American community, our Anglo community who are ranch owners and who have a lot of pride in, in being Nevada. I remember growing up with my dad and, you know, going out with one of his friends to do a cattle drive. And that just almost felt like Mexico to me, but it was just full of white men. Right. And it was it was so great. I just started to see glimpses of how our culture and how all of us had a lot more in common than the differences that really made us. Homa Woodrum is another person that we talked to. Her parents are Iranian, but she was born in England and was also raised all over the United States. She came to Las Vegas from Alaska when she was 18 to study law at UNLV and is now an attorney in Carson City. My name is Homa Woodrum. I'm an attorney and I've lived in Nevada since July of 2000. We've moved in different places through the state over the years, primarily in Vegas. At one point we lived in Winnemucca. At one point, we were working on moving to Ely. Now I'm in Carson City, and I think it'll stick as far as the northern Nevada. Came to the, this country in 86, to Utah, lived in Southern California, Northern California, Alaska, and I never really felt like I had a place until I was here. I really think it's the people. I think Nevadans are so welcoming, and people don't realize that. What I didn't experience till I came to Nevada was sort of that homing Nevada. Like, it's, it's neat how words have power, because I, it's not a phrase you hear in other states, or like, I, like Nevada Day. I think that's the coolest thing ever, right? That there's a day, and we, you know, other states have the day that they became a state, but it's not as significant. That comes from a culture of sort of transplants. Right. I always tell people Nevada has been very, very good to me and my family. I know that people sometimes consider, oh, Nevada is a one industry state, but that's not true either. It seems like a big state, but it's also a very small community. And I've noticed that, right, is that everybody somehow knows everybody. A friend once told me you bloom where you're planted, and I always really liked that, that, you know, you make an effort to to love love where you're at. But, you know, with the wildfires and all this stuff, we, we have these conversations of should we go somewhere else and going somewhere else conversations end with, oh, do we need to go back to Vegas? But never it's never even broached, like, do we need to go to another state? But I really think people are so, they're really nice here. I You know, I've always had really good experiences. We also spoke with J.V. Leckenberry. He's the owner of J.T.'s Basque Restaurant in Gardnerville, Nevada. His dad was a Basque sheep herder from France who moved to the Carson Valley before buying the restaurant in 1960. While raising his children in the Carson Valley, he's tried to keep his family's Basque heritage alive and well in the younger generations. So my name is Jean-Baptiste Leckenberry, but they call me J.B. I'm from Gardnerville, Nevada, born in Carson City Hospital, when I came home, I came home to the J.T. Basque Bar and Boarding House. My parents bought it in 1960, growing up because everybody was working at the restaurant all day, all night, naps and the crib and everything was right in the boarding house. That's where I started. 1970, all of Douglas County had 6,882 people in it. Carson Valley was primarily agricultural at that time with mining. By 1980, the population had gone in 10 years from 6,882 people to 19,421, almost tripled. We used to, we used to at, at six o'clock after the first dinner bell, we could, we could go throw the football right down 395. And then if a car was coming, you had plenty of time to move or 
ride your bike. And I can remember my brother with his 12 gauge shotgun going out to Lester Stodics and shooting doves. So you had this whole agricultural outdoorsy experience just laid out in front of you. People want to say the West is dead and gone or something, or there's no such thing as a real cowboy anymore. And I got to tell you, I know a whole bunch of young guns that are really, really handy. And there's still going to be cow business in this Carson Valley. You know, there's been a, there was a good concerted effort for conservation easements. And so that means that ground is going to stay, you know, primarily we're cow ground here. And so that's going to stay that way. And it's given these guys an opportunity. What about the Basque culture? Is it still pretty alive and well? Now there's, there's these Basque schools. You can learn Basque, but they have these immersion schools in the Basque country. So like my son and daughter speak better Basque than I do. And before you couldn't do that. Spain wouldn't allow you to do that. France wouldn't allow you to do that. America wasn't doing that. It's now, now the culture, I feel we have almost a better chance now. The kids that are younger than me or like my kids age, they learn about their language. They learn how to dance. They learn how to play the music. They learn, you know, they learn all these things. The opportunity's there and it's thriving. I am very hopeful and very optimistic and do believe just kind of like, don't tell me the Cowboys are dead because it's different, but it's going on. But being in Nevada is somebody who's been born with and raised with the ability to learn. We, we listen. We're not very prejudgmental. We're, we're open to many things. We've always been able to be like that. The opportunity, I think, coming from Nevada has always been that we're capable of learning about each other, about your culture, celebrating your culture, celebrating your lifestyle, celebrating all those things. Maybe don't take too much you know what I mean? Kind of straight up, but capable of that. And that, I think that's what really it means for me to be in Nevada. Another person that we talked to was Lonnie Andal, who was born in New York and moved to Nevada in 1970 after her father passed away. She pursued singing in Las Vegas and opened and performed with talents such as Jack Carter and Bob Newhart. She was one of the first Asian American performers on the Strip. She's also heavily involved in the Asian community in Las Vegas now, from the Las Vegas Asian Chamber of Commerce to the Las Vegas Filipino Resource Guide, which is a magazine that she helps publish now. I was doing the Frontier, the DI, back and forth, the Silver Slipper. Then I was at the Stardust for a few years in the number one show here in Las Vegas called Fair Touch of Vegas. It's been my, my world, but coming to Vegas, Seeing the city, New York, as it was, a lot of brick, a lot of glass, which we now have here, it was great to see the mountains, the desert. 1960s, a few Filipinos were here because now they were opening up Donda Beachcomber at the Sahara, Aku Aku at the Stardust. So they were hiring Asian-looking people. And Donda Beachcomber had all these Filipinos, so there were Filipino families coming in the 60s, and there was only about 45. 45 Filipinos. We have over 250,000 Filipinos here in Las Vegas now. The work was here, and they came here, then they brought the families, and then the ladies then became cocktail waitresses. You're making tips, you're making money. It's like a wonderland, because this, this was never thought to be a place to live. You came here on Thursday, and you stayed till Sunday, and we were a weekend town. It wasn't what it is today. So I believe that when you, when you came to Vegas, 
we were tolerant of the heat. And I remember in, in the 70s, there weren't any Filipino restaurants, groceries. You went to California, went to LA to pick up your groceries if you wanted something. It was like smuggling good food over to, to, to Vegas. But in, I'd say since the 80s, it has been a boom of families coming here. The work is here. And we're in a service industry. And the Filipinos just lend to that. So there's opportunity here. This is the greatest place to start over. If you think you didn't make it in, in your hometown, you could come here and make a fresh start. I think when people realize Vegas has more to offer, not just the gambling part, we've grown in 40 years to really become like a little New York, a little LA. I do miss the sanctity of the desert. I really do. I, I miss looking out my window and seeing nothing but nothing. That's a treat. I remember every single hotel that has been imploded. I said so, and I had the opportunity to appear in them, to be in them. So what I have in Vegas is the original McCoy. You could work, you could play, you could go to the mountains, you could go to the lake. It gives you everything you ever want. And I think too, there's no prejudices against the Filipinos out here. We're doctors, we're realtors, we're proprietors in, in every, every way. I think when you go down the street and you see people who look like you, talk like you, we're sharing the same food, you're home. You don't feel like you're a visitor anymore, you're home. I love looking at the mountains. I love seeing the, the Red Rock area, knowing that it's there, it still tells me we still have some space on Earth. We just seem to be freer here. There's not so much, how would you say, walls to knock down here in Las Vegas. They used to call this very transient town because people come, they either gamble, look for their fortune, and they leave. But people don't leave these days. They stay. They stay and, and you know, they try to make it work. We also spoke with Sarah Harubi, who was born in Washington and became a truck driver, where she frequently drove through Nevada, including a small town called Austin. One thing led to another, and she ended up buying the Cozy Mountain Motel and starting a restaurant called Grandma's in Austin. I drove a truck for 15 years, and the last five years of my driving career, give or take, I had a pretty consistent run from Portland down to Las Vegas, Phoenix, and it just always took me through Austin. And I started to stop here, first just to have a cup of coffee, have breakfast, and then one night it was snowing heavily and I chained up the truck, but even with all my chains on, the truck was still sliding backwards instead of going forwards. And so I parked it and I walked back down to the Cozy Mountain Motel and got a room. And I was terrified, I'm not a fan of crappy little motels. I like nice hotels. I like the Hilton Garden Inn and Holiday Inn Express. I thought I was going to have to bring my own bedding in. I thought it was going to be dirty. And I walked into the room and it was so nice and so clean and so cozy. And I passed right out and I slept great. And after that, I just started staying here. Like every chance I got, I would arrange my trip so that I could spend the night in Austin. And I started going to the bars and drinking with the locals. You know, if I had a hotel room and I didn't have to go back into my truck, then I could have a whiskey. And I started getting to know people here and the lady that owned the motel just really was ready to be retired and she really wanted me to have it. 
And so we just kind of worked out a heck of a deal. Austin just kind of got under my skin. You know, this, I think I like the smallness of it. And you always see the same people. I mean, really, every time I stopped here to get a drink, it's the same five people in the bar. And for me, I just have, I have a ton of social anxiety. You know, meeting new people is really stressful for me. And when I've been driving a truck for 10 or 15 hours, I just want to go sit at a bar and drink a whiskey. And to be able to come to the same town every time and to be able to see the same faces and have everything just be so small, it just felt really comfortable in a way that in any other place, it would have taken me a long time to get that comfortable. And people here, some are friendly, some are not. Some are nice, some are not. But they're all individual and quirky. There's no, there's no cliques here. Realistically, there's probably less than 100 people here. That's the general consensus. For me, what I admire most about the people in this town and in this rural area is really just how gritty and independent you have to be to live out here. And I don't know if that translates to Las Vegas or Reno. I haven't lived in a Nevada city. But living in rural Nevada and being this remote, it really takes an independent spirit in order to thrive out here. All those skills that I built from bouncing around everywhere and driving a truck and being alone. Now that I've come here, this really feels like home on a whole nother level. All the little things that we do that are extra here, you know, the way we have to drive 100 miles for groceries and stuff like that. It just, it, I don't know, it, it just feels right to me. And every single person in this town is extremely independent and extremely resourceful and really gritty. And for me, that's what living in Nevada has been about. Ginger Trotter hails from Louisiana and moved to Las Vegas to become a singer in 1990. Her daughter was born with a rare medical condition that required high-level care. Boyd Gaming, who she was a contractor with, hired her as a cocktail waitress so she could obtain health insurance for her daughter. She's now served in that role for 27 years. But we're the only family that some of these people have. I like to talk and I get paid to talk and I get paid to help people have a good time. And I don't have somebody looking over my shoulder going, oh, you haven't got that paper turned in on time. I, I, I like um, that I get to help people enjoy themselves. Now I look at it as, what did you do today? I mean, I smiled at somebody that might be feeling down and I made them smile back, you know. So that's what I try to say about my job. It's a 24-hour town, but you don't have to, to live in that part of the town. You're still a community out here. But what I do like about being here is that no matter what your schedule is, you can always find somewhere to go eat. You can, this is prior COVID, obviously, but you can find live music where you wanted to find it. If you want to get cooled off, you can drive up to Utah, you can drive up to Mount Charleston. There's always something to do. You can pretty much predict that it's not going to rain. You know, it's always nice to go visit somewhere else, but I'm always happy to come home. Stefano de Olimpio was born and raised in Rome, but moved all around the world from Ethiopia to Brazil before landing in Georgia. But he didn't last there long. He traveled to Reno for a work conference and fell in love with it and ultimately decided to move his entire family there where he raised three children. And I came here 
to Rina by accident. The second time I came here, I started exploring around. I went up to, to the lake, to Inclined Village. I fell in love with the place and bought a house in one day. I called my wife and said, we're moving to Nevada. Nevada? I'm moving to Italy. I'm going back. <laughs> There's a lot of different things, I guess. And we were, okay, well, Georgia is very humid and very hot. And yeah, it was different. So for the first time where I really felt I could fall in love with the winter. So I was looking for a better place to raise my kids. But I think what really caught my attention is one of the things that I did when I was here, I went to see Virginia City. And I think, you know, growing up in Europe, I always, you know, I studied history, but I couldn't really relate to it. I mean, it's, if I relate to Napoleon or Julius Caesar, I'd probably end up in a psychiatric hospital. History was actually much more focused in the area, was much more focused on regular people. So I kind of relate much better to somebody who wants to move to the Midwest uh, and try to go to California to change your life than to Napoleon. How would you describe raising a family in Nevada and Reno specifically? I don't know. Probably the situation would be different right now. But when we moved here, we, we had the possibility because of, we had the possibility of doing many more activities together. And uh, there was uh, something I really enjoyed. If I had stayed in Italy or in Georgia, the metropolitan kind of uh, surrounding wouldn't allow me to spend as much time as I did with my kids. So uh, we did a lot of skiing together. I mean, my kids grew up with the ski teams and stuff like those. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I traveled a lot international. And every time I came back, uh, it was always a weekend. The first thing that we could do is just pick up the skis and go ski together. And that was great. And in the summer, hiking and or biking or stuff like those. It was really fun. The possibility of being more independent than in other places. The kind of, in a way, people say that freedom is a, freedom is a political concept of democracy. In reality, you got to look for the freedom and independence inside yourself. And lastly, we have Marcus Laverne, who grew up in Las Vegas and ran track in high school and planned to attend the University of Nevada, Reno, but at the last minute got a scholarship to run track for Missouri. He stayed there for a year before deciding to come back to Nevada and go to UNR. During and right after college, Marcus was a journalist working for the ESPN radio station in Las Vegas before ultimately deciding to leave journalism. Uh, I had lived in Vegas from 2017 to August 2018, working professionally as a journalist that's August is when I decided that I wanted to pursue anything else. My buddy said, well, there's a sort of communications position opening up with my, with my company in San Francisco. And I eventually went out there to San Francisco and that turned my world around, honestly, not for the you know better, not for the worse. It made me realize how big the world was. I was also in a position where for once, I was scared. I was anxious. I didn't feel prepared. I had Im imposter syndrome. And that made me nervous on a day to day, just living in a place that was as huge and robust, but homogenous as San Francisco. I think it was a mixture that forced me to learn a lot and made me uncomfortable. You know, as you can see, brought me back to Reno, Nevada. And I think that's just because longing for a sense of home, a sense of comfort, a sense of a place to lay your head where you don't necessarily have to worry about the turbulence of the evening and the turbulence of the next day. That's kind of what Reno was for me. And going to school here, I learned obviously that there's this enormous sense of community 
it's funny because we have political allies, we have political folks that we don't see eye to eye on. But I think what I learned in Reno is, you know, if there's an event happening, if there's a crisis happening, there's a there's a large sense of community and I recognized it when I reunited with a group of friends that I'd went, I went to college with on a July 4th weekend. And of course, it was a lot of partying and having drinks and dancing, but it was also just feeling like you belong there. It reminded me of not having to you know, struggle to be a part of a group, be a part of a team, be a part of a family like San Francisco caused. And maybe that's not everybody's experience. It was definitely mine. And so it was easy to, it was easy for me to make the choice to come back to Reno. It's funny because my twin went to UNLV and of course I graduated from the University of Nevada and I always try to make it a rivalry and she just doesn't care. It's weird to say, it's weird to call it polarized, but Reno and Vegas are brother and sister or cousins or they're related, but they're very different. And I think I'm actually happy that I have the experience from both sides so that I can truly maybe understand what making Nevada a home, you know, really is. I can say that I like flying to Vegas and hanging out with my friends and family down there. And I like flying back up to Reno and calling it home. And I just, I I guess I've grown past not endorsing one city and endorsing the other. It's just, it's all Nevada. I've finally driven down and actually stayed in Tonopah for more than a couple of hours. The people are so nice there. They're working on expanding and building and there's construction going on. It's the middle of Nevada, so it's kind of the middle of nowhere, but it's still trying its best. And I really appreciate that about them. I visited Hawthorne, Nevada. I don't know. It's just Nevadans. Nevadans are trying, you know, they're they're growing and they're impressive and they're They work hard and they believe in family and community. So we've now heard from from eight very unique, very different Nevadans from all over the state, from rural Nevada to Las Vegas to Reno. Yeah, I think we definitely find some commonalities among them, whether they entirely grew up here or moved here from literally across the country or around the world. You know, they they seem to really cherish the independent spirit of the state. I heard a lot about the beauty of the mountains and the desert, the sunshine, and just the the ability to sort of carve your own path here. And and everyone we spoke to was so happy and positive and excited about wherever they lived in Nevada, whether it's a town of 200 people or a town of 2 million. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. I think that's what we heard really loud and clear from all these folks is that there was something special that really drew people here and kept them. And so with all of these interviews, you know, I think it's been a lot of fun. I think we've learned a lot about Nevada. So hopefully in the future, we'll, you know, have this as kind of a reoccurring segment. It won't be every episode of the podcast, but moving forward, we hope to talk to more Nevadans to ask them what it means to be a Nevadan, to be here and to, uh, you know, love our, our, our great state. So Jackie, thanks so much for, uh, for doing this project with me and uh, we'll hear from you again soon and excited to hear all your reporting. All right. Thank you so much, Joey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Sarah Harubi, Homo Woodrum, Stefano D'Olimpio, J.B. Leckenberry, Lonnie Andal, Marcus Laverne, Diego Sarsua, Ginger Trotter, and Jackie Valley for being on the show this week. And for our 200th episode, we also wanted to make sure you knew about the amazing team behind us here at the Indie. 
John Ralston, Elizabeth Thompson, Michelle Rindels, Riley Snyder, Luz Gray, Megan Messerly, Jackie Valley, Daniel Rothberg, Jasmine Orozco Rodriguez, Humberto Sanchez, Howard Stutz, Tabitha Mueller, Kristen Leonard, CJ Keeney, Stephanie Lauer, Tim Leonard, Janelle Calderon, Sean Galanka, Zach Bright, David Calvert, Jeff Scheid, Daniel Clark, all of our wonderful columnists and freelancers, and of course, we wanted to thank you, our audience, our listeners and readers for consuming our reporting and supporting us for the last four and a half years. If you like what we're doing, you can donate to us by going over to our website and clicking on the big yellow support our work button on the top of our site, thenevadaindependent.com. Your donations are what keep our reporting going, our lights on, and our mics hot. And they are hot mics. Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Lance Conrad and original music from our own Joey Lovato. Thank you, as always, for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. We can't thank you enough for listening to Indie Matters. We love every single one of our listeners, and we want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. As always, we'll talk to you next week. Music